I'm Pastor Richard Gamble, and the following message is made available by First Baptist Church of Bastrop, Louisiana. To find out more about First Baptist Bastrop, go to www.firstbastrop.org. That's www.firstbastrop.org. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, just thank you now for this wonderful day that you've given us, Lord, and thank you for this time to come and open up your word and hear from you, Lord. That's what we want to hear t- from today, Lord. We don't, Lord, no one here needs my opinion. No one here needs to learn anything from me, but Lord, we all need to learn from you. And uh, Lord, we need to see you. We need to draw closer to you. We need to be dependent upon you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would teach us that today in our text. Uh, Lord, draw our hearts closer to know you and just to surrender all to you, Lord. So, Lord, bless our time in your word. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. We're looking at the whole chapter this morning, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 20. This is one whole big section, so we're going to look at all of that, and we'll just kind of work through it as we go here in a little bit. You know, as a child, parents sometimes seem mean, don't they? When you're a kid growing up and your parents tell you, oh, no, you can't have that. Well, why can't I have dessert before supper? I don't understand. You're just mean, Mommy. You're mean. All right? When they keep you know, certain things away from us, we don't understand it, and it seems kind of mean. They discipline us, right, when we do wrong, and they swap our bottoms, right? Uh, we don't understand that. They seem kind of mean. But you know, as I, I've grown up, and I have had a child of my own, and uh, I look back at my parents, and those things that seemed mean when I was a kid... I've come to appreciate those things because I understand now as an adult that my parents have my best interest at heart. They denied me certain things in life and they punished me for certain things in life because they wanted to make me into a productive adult, right? They wanted me to uh, grow up to be a moral human being, to be a, a child of God, a man of God. And so now looking back at what they did, I realized they weren't being mean, they were loving me and caring for me, and helping to mold my character and make me who I am today. So I've come to appreciate that, because I understand that they have my best interest at heart. You know, as we've been going through Deuteronomy, we're working through that, uh, this book, a while now, but uh, we've come to chapters 6 through 11. And chapters 6 through 11 of Deuteronomy are the application of the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before the Lord your God. It's a call for God's children to live in complete allegiance to the Lord, to give our complete allegiance to the Lord, to have no other gods above the Lord. What it's calling us to in chapter 6 through 11. In chapter 6 through 11, Moses kind of applies that, shows us why. We are to do that and encourage us to continue to give our complete allegiance to the Lord. Now, we've already seen some reasons why to pledge allegiance to the Lord. One, because of His past, present, and future grace. 
right? What he's already done, saving us. For the people of Israel, it was saving them out of the, the land of Egypt, out of slavery, and bringing them into the land of promise. For us, it's saving us from slavery to sin uh, by sending his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us. He has saved us. We have been saved in Jesus Christ. That's his past grace. His present grace, he's working in us. We're going to see some more of that today in our text in chapter 8. It's some more of that present grace as God is working salvation in our lives even as we live in Christ. And then it's his future grace. We, we look to heaven. We look to glory that is to come and we, we serve God and we give our allegiance to God because we know where he is taking us, not to some promised land and the Middle East, but into glory, into heaven, into a new heavens and a new earth in the, the end. So we, we pledge our allegiance because of God's past, present, and future grace. And today we see another reason to, comp to uh, give complete allegiance to the Lord. Today's text calls us to give complete allegiance to the Lord our God because of his sanctifying work in your life. Give complete allegiance to the Lord your God because of his sanctifying work in your life. That's that present grace, right? What he is doing in your life right now, what he's been doing in your life as a child of God. And today I want to show us from the text three ways in which the Lord works to sanctify his people. We're going to see in our text today how he is working in us the different ways, three different ways that he works in us to sanctify us. That, that word sanctify, by the way, is just a, a fancy word. It means to, to make holy. It, it, it's, described, it's description uh, or descriptive of the, the process that Jesus is doing in us to make us like Jesus. That's his goal for us, right? That's his end game. He wants to make us like his son, Jesus Christ. He wants to make us perfectly holy. And he is sanctifying us and changing us and transforming us so that we might become more like Jesus. Die to that old sinful self and live more and more to God. He wants to sanctify us. So we're going to see how he works that in our lives, different ways that he works that in our lives. Now chapter 8 is one unit. It begins and ends with this idea that God humbled Israel in the wilderness in order to test them. We see this at the beginning in verse 2, and then we see it appear again down in verse 16. He talks about humbling Israel, talking about their, their travels as they were wandering around in the wilderness. He calls them to hunger and thirst, and all of this was for a purpose. But also we see this kind of this, this refrain over and over again. It begins with remember Remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 days in the 40 years in the wilderness. Remember the Lord. Remember. And don't forget. Don't forget. Don't forget. Because as he gets there, and we'll see this when we get into our text, God is taking them into the land of milk and honey, right? He's taking them into a place where there will be prosperity. 
They've been hungering and thirsting in the wilderness, depending on God's every loving care of them, providing them manna, providing water out of rocks and all of these kinds of things. So they've had these hardships, but now they're going into the land of plenty. And here's the thing. Here's what tends to happen when we, when we leave behind the hard times and we go into the land of plenty, we have a tendency to forget. When everything's good and great and wonderful, that's when we begin to forget all that the Lord has done for us. We, we begin to, the, to look to the things that we have. We look to the abundance and we forget the Lord. So Moses is calling the people of Israel, don't forget, remember the Lord, remember the Lord, remember the Lord. Keep your allegiance to the Lord. Don't forget the Lord when you get into the land of promise and everything's good and wonderful. Keep your commitment to the Lord throughout. And we need to remember that today, even uh, as we are in a land of abundance. We need to remember this, and we need to look at how the Lord is working in our lives, sanctifying us day in and day out, so that we might remain allegiant to the Lord. Now, when the Lord humbles someone, that's those humble, humility, and testing, those are two key things. Uh, uh, terms here in our text now when it talks when scripture talks about the lord humbles someone most often it is to put people in their proper place right the lord wants to, to bring us down to our proper place because our tendency is towards pride not humility our tendency is to lift ourselves up even trying to exalt ourselves over god we saw that in a text earlier right the man who he, he had a wonderful year, crops went well, and says, what am I going to do with my crops? I'm going to build bigger barns for me, and I'm going to store them up for me. And, and, and the Lord said, you fool. Now, this life, this, tonight, your, your life is demanded of you. Now what are you going to do? Right? Our tendency is towards pride to lift ourselves up and exalt ourselves. And God, when we get that way, he likes to bring us down. He will bring us down quick. Because he wants us to be in our proper place before him. We are not to exalt ourselves over God, but we're to humble ourselves before the Lord. And so the Lord, he works to humble us, to put us in our proper place, out of pride, but in our proper place before the Lord. But then it talks about this testing. Notice what it says there, and this is verse 2. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Now, the Lord doesn't need to test us to understand our hearts. The Lord knows our hearts. That's not the point. The Lord's not trying to find out something about us. He knows us far better than we know ourselves. Number one, he is teaching us about ourselves. When the Lord tests us, it's to teach us about ourselves. To, to show us who we are and how we need to grow. But really, in this, in this text, when he talks about testing, he's not necessarily talking about like a, a test at school. Right? We, we kind of have that in mind when we talk about being tested. We, we think about being in high school and we have to, the teacher, after, at the end of the semester, she'll give us that semester test to test our knowledge, what all we have learned over the course of the semester. But that's not the kind of testing that 
that this passage is talking about. There's another kind of testing that we, we might uh, understand in Scripture, and, and that's the testing that, say, a forger does with metal. A forger will take metal and he will test the metal. He'll put it in fire and he puts it in that fire to purify it, to strengthen it, to harden that metal. And really, that's more the idea that we see here in chapter 8 when it talks about the Lord testing Israel. He put them through the test, right? He put them in the fire. He let them suffer a bit. He, he let them uh, go through some pain and agony in the wilderness, not to hurt them, but to strengthen their faith, to draw them closer to him, to make them more reliable upon him. And so when you see that word testing in chapter 8 of Deuteronomy, it has that more of an idea. The Lord is testing them by putting them into the fire to forge them, to make them stronger in their faith. So keep that in mind as we begin now to look at our text. So we're looking at, we're calling, the Lord is calling us here in this text to give complete allegiance to the Lord. Why? Give complete allegiance to the Lord because of his, first of all, sanctification through provisions. The Lord sanctifies us through his gracious provisions. Now, remember, we're not there yet, right? In Deuteronomy, Moses is preparing the people of Israel to cross over into the promised land, but they're not there yet. Right now, they're sitting east of the Jordan, getting ready to go in, but they're not there yet. They're looking over at the land that flows with milk and honey, but right now they're still in the wilderness. They're still in that wandering process, and they are depending upon the Lord. And that's where they've been for 40 years. They've been in that wilderness. And so he reflects back on those wilderness journeys. Notice what he says there in the first couple of verses. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember, there's that word there, you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandment or not. The Lord humbled them. Again, this idea of humility was to, not to hurt them, not to belittle them, but to bring them down to, to their proper place. He's humbled Israel in the wilderness to overcome their, their sense of self-sufficiency. He humbled them to overcome their sense of self-sufficiency. They have been working as slaves in Egypt, and in some ways they've been providing for themselves. And now the Lord has brought them out, and they had nothing. They, they came out with great riches, but, but they were there in the wilderness. They couldn't plant crops. They couldn't do any of this. They were just wandering around. And they had to become completely dependent upon the Lord. And while they were out there, the Lord blessed them and, and gave them manna from heaven and, and water from the rocks. 
But all of this was to humble them, to overcome their self-sufficiency. He humbled them to overcome that self-sufficiency and then also instill in them divine dependence. Divine dependence. Look what he says as he goes on there in verse 3 and 4. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you. Right? He let you hunger. And then he fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes, your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. The Lord humbled them, right? He, he took away all their, their supply there in Egypt. He brought them out to this wilderness. But he didn't just leave them to starve. Yeah, he let them feel some hunger, right? But, but he then provided for them. He cared for them in a magnificent way. He gave them manna from heaven. He provided clothes that didn't wear out. Now, I, I wear out clothes over a course of a year, but 40 years. They've been wandering through the wilderness, and their clothes are still as, just as good uh, after the end of that 40 years as they were when they began this whole uh, travel through the wilderness. Why? Because God has provided for them. He has cared for them this whole way. He humbled them to teach them divine dependence. You know what? The Lord does that for us. He does that same thing for us. He wants us to understand that we are to depend on Him, that we don't live by bread alone. Right? Whatever provisions God gives us, that's, that's His business. He gives it to us and He provides it for us. And we shouldn't worry about that and be anxious about that. But we should depend solely upon the Lord. If, we go, if we're going through hard times, right? When we're going through difficulties in life, the Lord's not putting us through that for nothing. He's not making us suffer for no reason. He is using everything in our lives. He uses every tragedy, every suffering in our lives for our good. To make us less self-sufficient and more dependent upon Him. He wants to, wants to teach us, just like He taught Israel, man does not live by bread alone. We don't live by the, the food on our table alone. That's not the most important thing. What's even more important is the Word of God and having that relationship with, with the Lord. Jesus even understood this. Jesus was even taught this. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, he quotes this verse as he's out there in the wilderness and he's starving. He's been starving for 40 days. He's been fasting for 40 days out in the wilderness. God hasn't given him anything to eat. He's just been out there fasting. No, no food or water for 40 days. And the Satan that comes to him and, and tempts him, right? Well, hey, you're Jesus, right? You're God's son. You can, you can do these miracles and you can make these stones into bread and, and just eat them. And Jesus says, for it is written, man shall, uh, uh, 
does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus understood this. And we need to understand that as well. You know, we have an idea oftentimes, especially as we're, we're, when we're younger, we kind of get over it as we grow older and, and realize, you know, fame and fortune isn't all that it, it, it's actually cracked up to be, especially when we see people who gain fame and fortune and it becomes their end, right? But as kids, we, we grow up and we have these ideas of grandeur. We want to be uh, great people, make a name for ourselves, become popular, and, and maybe even hit it big, you know, be some kind of singer or actor or something. We have all these grand ideas. But God, that's not God's ideas, right? Those ideas are not God's ideas. Sometimes he makes us suffer. Instead of uh, giving us great success, he, he gives us very little. And we struggle, especially earlier in life. Many of us struggled, right, as we were getting started in life. And, and we knew what it meant to, to not have so much. All of that was a blessing from the Lord. It's all a blessing for the Lord because he wants to teach us not self-sufficiency, but divine dependence. He wants us to depend upon him. He is, uses all of those things, every tragedy in your life, every hardship, every suffering, God uses to make us more like Jesus. He provides what we need, when we need it, so we become more dependent upon him. So, we give complete allegiance to the Lord because of his sanctification through his wonderful provisions. Second, give complete allegiance to the Lord because of his sanctification through discipline. His sanctification through discipline. Continuing on there in verse 5, Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments. Therefore, right, because of that, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways and, be fear, and, and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks and water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the, the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees of, and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. That's where they're going, but they're not there yet. Go back to that. I want to focus in on verse 5. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. In other words, he's already disciplined you. In fact, he goes on down and here in a little bit, he's going to show us that uh, he has remind them of some of the disciplines that the Lord has put in their lives. But the Lord has disciplined you, and now you're going into this land of promise, this land flowing with milk and honey, and guess what? He's still going to discipline you there too. The Lord disciplines those whom he loves. He, he disciplines his children just as a father disciplines a son. 
Proverbs 3, verse 11 and 12 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. You know, I think about my own parents growing up, how they disciplined me along the way. It wasn't always pleasant, right? It's not always pleasant. It's not supposed to be pleasant. It's supposed to be a little painful when they discipline you, especially the negative side. We have to realize there's two sides of discipline. There's punishment for bad behavior, and then there's reward for good behavior. There's both of those sides of discipline, but we tend to remember the bad part, the negative side of discipline, the kind that hurts when we do wrong and we have to be punished for what we do wrong. Well, you know what? The Lord does that for us. When we're acting badly, he disciplines us. He, does, he puts things in our lives that, are, that hurt us, that are sometimes are, are quite painful. But it's not for our bad. It's not because he's a mean, ugly God. It's because he is a loving father who wants the very best for us. He wants to correct bad behavior. And he wants us to live holy unto him. He wants us to be like Jesus. And we need to understand that, that God, he punishes bad behavior. He punishes bad behavior. He, he did Israel. Notice down there in verse 15, this is kind of the, the other side of that. Who led you, God, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there, were, there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock. Notice there he talks about the fiery serpents. You remember the story about the fiery serpents, don't you? Back there in Numbers chapter 21, uh, verse 4, from Mount Hor, they set out by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient on the way, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness for there is no food and no water and we loathe this worthless food the manna then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died and the people came to Moses and said we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against you pray to the Lord that he might take away the serpents from us so Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Here we have an example of the Lord's discipline for Israel, when they lived in disobedience, right? They, they trust, they, they, instead of trusting in the Lord, they, they uh, mulligrub, right? They complained against the Lord. And so the Lord disciplined with these fiery serpents. But he provided a way of salvation, didn't he? He provided a way of hope to come out of that. But all of this was for their good. It was to make them stronger, to make them more dependent upon the Lord. He disciplines the, us for our good. Whether it be punishment or reward, the Lord disciplines us for our good. And we need to realize that sometimes in our lives. Sometimes the things that we do, our sins, 
cause bad things to happen in our lives. And God allows that to take place. Sometimes it's not always, not every time something bad happens to you is it's the Lord's discipline. That's not, we understand from Scripture that's not always the case. But sometimes it is. Usually it is absolutely connected to our sin. It's our sin that gets us in trouble and God just allows us to bear the consequences of those sins and that's his discipline on our lives. He is punishing us for our sin. But it's not for our ill, it is for our good. He wants us to be like Jesus. He wants us to be like Jesus. And so we should appreciate the discipline of the Lord every time that he intervenes in our lives. Whether it's through punishment or reward, we should bless the Lord and, and uh, honor him, thank him for everything that he does in our lives to make us like Jesus. Let's be honest, today discipline is almost a foreign concept in our society. Most parents today, we see this, so, so many parents, they, they just let their kids run around, do whatever they, they want to. They don't, there's no discipline and we see the effects of that on our society, but that's not the way it is with the Lord. The Lord is not that way. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but the one who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs thirteen twenty four says, Thus the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. The Lord doesn't spare the rod. He doesn't want us to be spoiled. He wants us to be like Jesus. So give your allegiance to the Lord because of his sanctification through discipline. When the Lord disciplines you, dear friend, give him praise and glory because he is making you to become more like his son, Jesus Christ. So give complete allegiance to the Lord because of his sanctification through provision, through discipline, and third, give a complete allegiance to the Lord because of his sanctification through resurrection. Now, we're going to have to pull on this one, all right? We're going to have to go to the New Testament, but I want us to see it here first. There's an allusion to what I'm saying here, even in our text. Let's read the rest of our text there, starting in verse 11. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you out of the water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Remember that little phrase there, to do you good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and my might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God 
and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you. So shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. There's a lot there, isn't there? But I want us to focus in on some things here. We need to, we obviously, we need to remember. Uh, this is a good lesson for us to learn. That uh, even as we accumulate wealth for ourselves, even today, right? As we, we work and do whatever, as we accumulate wealth, it, it's not because of, of how good we are. It's not just because of, it's not because of our minds or our abilities, but whatever, whatever mental capacity we have, whatever physical capacity that we have to produce wealth, to make wealth, it is because the Lord has blessed us in that. He has given us that. And so everything that we do, we are not self-sufficient. We depend upon the Lord, and the Lord giveth, and the Lord can taketh away. We need to always remember that. And we need to understand and remember that lesson that everything that we have is a provision of the Lord. I want to draw in on this one little phrase there in verse 16. Notice what he says there. The Lord who fed you in the wilderness with the manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. To do you good in the end. Now, for Israel, the end was bringing them into the land of promise. It was bringing them into that land of promise, and the Lord blessed them and provided for them. But Israel failed, didn't they? Even as they went into the land, they were still, uh, they were still uh, come under sin, right? They, they still suffered from sin. And they did fall away from the Lord. We, we know the rest of the story. Most of us know the rest of the story. They went into the land of promise, and, and you don't get too far over there into Judges, and the people are not following the Lord with their heart, all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, but everyone is doing things right in their own eyes, and they fall away from the Lord, and the Lord judges them. Ultimately, at the end of the Old Testament, the Israelites are out of the land of promise because of their disobedience. Israel suffered. Israel's testing. It, it all had a final good purpose. God wanted to bring them into the promised land and to do them good. He wanted to, to be their God and, and they His people. But complete holiness, holiness was never realized in Israel because Israel sinned. They, became, they, they, they continued in their sin. And because of sin, they continued to be a cursed people to Endure the curse of the covenant instead of the blessings of the covenant. But now, dear friends, God has provided a better way to holiness in His Son, Jesus Christ. Here's where we've got to go to the other side of the book. God has provided a better way of holiness through His Son, Jesus Christ. By God's grace, through faith in Jesus, our testing has a final good purpose. There's a final good purpose. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, when Jesus appears in His second coming, when He appears, we shall be like Him 
because we shall see him as he is. We will be like him because we will see him like he is. God is aiming to make us like Jesus. Perfectly like Jesus. That's his end goal. Everything in our lives that he is doing now is working towards that end. And one day he will bring it to completion when Jesus returns. The forger takes a raw, shapeless piece of iron and determines what he wants it to be before he, before he ever puts it into the fire. Right? He, he knows what he wants it to be before he ever puts it under the heat. He makes a plan and then begins to take, he begins to take that, that uh, metal and he, he puts it into the fire. He, 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 he t- puts it in the fire and heats it up. Makes it good and hot, and then he hammers on it. He hammers it out, hammers it out, hammers it out. He heats it some more. He hammers it, hammers it, hammers it, right? He moves, he, he takes off a little piece over here, and he takes off a little bit on this side and that side, and all of it. He, he's strengthening it all to make it what he wants it to be, to make it an instrument of his choosing. And the Lord does that for us. He is forging us in this life through the provision that He provides for us, the way He provides for us, through the discipline in our lives, all to bring us to that ultimate goal, that good final purpose of being like Jesus. And on resurrection day, when all of God's saints are called up into the air and we see Jesus face to face, that last little bit of dross will be cut off. That last little bit of waste will be done away with. And we may be made completely perfect like Jesus. God forges His people for a purpose to make them into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. That, it is, that is His goal for you, dear Christian. And He will not stop until He ob- obtains perfection. Perfection will only come ultimately when Jesus returns. But in this life, give complete allegiance to God because of His sanctifying work that He is completing in you and will complete in you on resurrection day. Oh, give your complete allegiance to the Lord. Trust Him every, in everything in your life. Whatever you're facing, whatever you may be facing even now, trust the Lord. Be dependent upon Him. And give your complete allegiance to Him because of what He is doing in your life. To make you like Jesus. When I was a kid, our church used to have the fifth Sunday singings. This is the fifth Sunday. We're going to have a fifth Sunday potluck, but we used to have fifth Sunday singings. And sometimes the Haygoods, the family there in our church, they would sing this old song, He's Still Working on Me. As a kid, it was one of my favorites because of the way they sang it and great harmony. But He's Still Working on Me. To make me what I need to be. 
It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be. He's still working on me. What a wonderful blessing that God is working on us. He works on us our whole lives for ultimate glorious purpose. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it hurts. Because sometimes God denies us things that we really, really want in life. And he denies it. He keeps that from us. But it's for our good. Sometimes he, he causes us to suffer and allows us to suffer illness. And even sometimes death of a, of a loved one. But he promises even that he will work for our good because he wants to make us like Jesus. Oh, dear friend. Give complete allegiance to the Lord because of His sanctifying work in you. Now maybe you don't know that sanctifying work. Maybe you're here today and you've never, you've never experienced God's work in your life. You've never known His work because you've never trusted in Him. You've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. Well, I want you to know that today you can understand that work in your life. Because God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you and for your sins. And if you trust in Jesus, if you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, that sanctifying work will begin in you. And God will work on you. He'll provide for you and He will discipline you for that ultimate goal of bringing you to be more and more like Jesus. But it begins by trusting in Jesus. The question is, will you trust in Him, him today? Enjoy the sanctifying work of God in your life by taking that first step and surrendering your life to Christ today. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this message, Lord, as we've read about what you did in Israel, Lord. And Lord, I've tried to certainly try to pull it over to show us how it, it's relevant even for us today, Lord. Lord, we thank you for all the work that you're doing in our lives. Lord, sometimes we don't understand it. Sometimes we don't like it. When it's painful, we certainly don't like it. But Lord, we, we trust in you. Lord, strengthen that trust. Let us appreciate even the hard times that you bring us through, Lord, knowing that your goal is a glorious goal to make us like Jesus. Let us surrender to that and let us give complete allegiance to you because of what you're doing in our lives. And Lord, if there's any today who've never trusted in Jesus, they don't know your sanctifying work. They don't know how you sanctify through your provisions. They've never experienced your discipline in their lives. They have no hope of sanctification through resurrection. 
Lord, today I pray that you would turn their hearts to Jesus. Help them to trust in Christ today so that they may begin to experience your work in their lives. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen.